Morning, everyone. My name is Eric. I want to welcome you to E3. This is the fourth week of our series uh, called In the Garden, where we're taking a look at the life of Jesus, uh, framed in reverse, so to speak, by the Garden of Gethsemane and the prayer that he prayed there. And uh, if you guys remember, we are starting with the assumption and the assertion that the prayer, not my will but yours be done, does not just happen in anybody's lives. So we're taking a look at Jesus' life and the way he lived his life and things that happened to him that produced that prayer. And we started off a few weeks ago by looking at his baptism, that event in his life, the words he heard at his baptism. You are my son, that I dearly love you. You are the beloved. And we began to ask the question of, of what does the beloved, our understanding your beloved, what kind of ramifications does that have in your life? How, if you know that, at the deepest part of your soul, it has implications for the way you live your life. When you get to places like the Garden of Gethsemane, where you need to pray a prayer like, not my will, but yours be done. Last week, we looked at Jesus's temptations, the trials, the tests in the desert. We looked at the individual tests and what they meant for him. And then we also took a step back and looked at the idea that trials and tests, as, as rough as they can be sometimes, have a way of showing us who we really are. And that when you come through trials and tests and temptations and you, and you stay in them and you emerge from them, you usually know something more about yourself than you did when you went in. And that clarification helps as your journey towards maybe the tough times of your life. And today, we're going to talk about Jesus' prayer life. And we're going to talk about in, in the idea that before Jesus had to pray, not my will but yours be done, he had a lot of experience praying already. And he knew a lot of things about God because of prayer. And I'm going to tell you right now that my goal in this, my goal in this time, my, my prayer, my hope is to get everybody in this room, everybody in this part of E3, uh, the, the part of E3 community that is here right now or that hears this message would take one step forward in their prayer life. I don't care where you're starting at. I don't care if you are a praying fool. I don't care if you've never prayed before in your life. I, I would love for you to take one step forward this week in prayer. And I'm going to tell you, this has been a journey for me. I remember hearing stories about people who have what we call a spiritual gift of prayer. These people who pray for like hours uh, at a time. And prayer has always been a funny thing for me. It's been awkward. I don't know if any of you are like me where you see somebody one week and you'd be like, hey, I'll pray for you. And the next week comes and you haven't prayed like a lick. And like you see him across the lobby and you're like, I better run over here and pray real quick. Oh Lord, please. I don't even remember the prayer request, but could you please just, you know, and you use kind of vague language and then you're like, hey, I've been praying for you. <laughs> I've been there, trust me. Um, but Prayer is, is, I believe, what I, of calling it the furnace of the relationship. It's where everything happens. There's a guy named uh, Martin Luther, lived back in the 16th century. He said this. So tell me if this won't kind of challenge you. He said, I'm so busy every day that I have to pray for at least two hours before I start my day. Who, how, would you like to have that guy in your growth group? like, oh, shut up. 
I'm starting from the assumption that most of us struggle with prayer, okay? You don't have to shake your heads like let's not hang our dirty laundry out for each other right here. Prayer is just an awkward thing for us because it's something that we do when nobody is looking. Okay, we pray here on stage. Sometimes we pray in our growth groups. But prayer is one of these things that if you don't do it, hmm, nobody's going to know. Not really, except you. And so I want to talk about that. That's where we're going today. But so I was talking with my wife this week, my wife, Shana, and she says, hey, you know, this series is really good and all. She said, but it's so intense. She said, you've got to let us off the hook. She said, could you tell some jokes or something? So I'm going to tell you some jokes. They're jokes about prayer, though. So, but first, I want to tell you a story uh, kind of about prayer as well. Uh, one day, somebody called uh, the church, and uh, it was a kid, young man, and uh, he was from a, another church community in Tallahassee. He didn't say where he was from. He said, hey, can you send a, a pastor to come pray for my mom? She's really sick. Like, she's not, she's not on death's door, but she's really ill. Um, could you send somebody? I go to this other church, but could you just go? So we're like, okay, you know, so we do as we always do, uh, and more, most of the time we ask Pastor Dan to go, connects with this young man, goes over, to the, goes over to their house, prays with the woman, and as Dan's leaving, he said, hey, I'm just grateful to come, but I'm just curious, like, why didn't, why didn't you ask one of your pastors at, at this other church? And he said, well, we knew she was really sick and she's contagious, and we didn't want any of our pastors to catch anything. I'm so, that's not true. That really didn't happen. But I had you. All right. So, so that, was one of, that was one of the jokes. Okay. All right. You ready? All right. This is it. Okay. These are jokes. This is, after this time, it's just angry old grumpy Eric again. So enjoy. Okay. So uh, there's there are these guys on a boat, a fishing boat, like a commercial vessel. And the boat starts to sink. And everyone's like scurrying around. The captain puts a call. He says, hey, does anybody, is anybody on the boat a praying person? This guy comes up. He says, I'm a praying person. He says, good, because we're a life jacket short. We're all out of here. You pray. <laughs> look. Okay, thank you. Look, look. My wife already told me. She's like, the jokes. She was like. All right, so, oh, so here's another one. There's three guys, three men. There's three men in the woods. Let's call them, let's call them Mark, Dan, and Eric. So uh, these three hikers are going through the woods. They come across this river that's at flood stage. They got to get to the other side of the river. Like it's, it's, it's imperative that they get to the other side of the river. So uh, Pastor Dan, or wait, I'm sorry, just Dan, um, he starts to pray. He says, God, I have to get to the other side of this river, God. Make me strong so I can get to the other side of this river. And instantly, God acts, and all of a sudden, Dan's arms just, he swells up, and he's like, all right. Dan wades into the river and starts to swim. He's getting across the river. He's swimming because God's made him strong. At one point, he doesn't make it all the way safely. He goes under, and Mark and Eric are like, oh, no. Dan comes up out of the water, starts swimming. Oh, he's okay. Gets to the other side. He's like, I made it. Awesome. River's still there. So, uh, so Eric, could be me, I don't know, says, God, I need to get across this river. God, give me a tool. Give me something to use, something I can employ, provide something so I can get across this river. 
because I saw that Dan almost drowned, and I don't want to almost drown. So, God, bam, a canoe appears, poof, with a paddle. Eric wanders into the, the river, gets in the canoe, starts paddling. But let's face it, Eric's from the city. He's not a great canoeer. And so he's going, and he gets halfway across the river, and the canoe gets turned around, and it capsizes. And Mark's like, oh, no. And Dan's like, oh, no. But Eric gets up. He gets back in the canoe just before he drifts away. He crosses the river. Mark and Dan, oh, Eric's, oh, good. And then uh, Mark said, the river's still there. The river's still at flood stage. And Mark thinks for a minute. He said, God, I need to get across this river. Would you please give me the wisdom and the intelligence to get across this river? At which point, God turns Mark into a woman. (laughs) Turns him into Lori Green, actually. At which point, Mark just walks a quarter mile down to the bridge and crosses the river. Okay, playtime's over. So uh, one of the things you guys might or might not know about me is uh, uh, I like like shoes, okay? I'm just getting it out there. Um, I don't know at what point in my life I became, became picky and choosy about my footwear. Maybe it was because I was playing in bands or something. I don't know. But uh, at, at some point, I decided that I gave two cents about what, on, what went on my feet. I don't have a lot of shoes. It's not like that. And uh, you have to understand that this was a, a problem for me because through my 20s, through my 30s, even in the, most of my 40s, um, we just didn't have a lot of money in my house, okay? Um, I don't know if you know this, but don't become a pastor if you want to get rich. Um, so, you know, we would go to Goodwill and go to Salvation Army and get a nice pair of shoes every once in a while. Um, but uh, there was one point about two years ago, right? So um, I was at a, a conference, this kind of Christian get-together, and this guy was talking about shoes. And he was talking about this pair of shoes he was wearing. He was saying, oh, you know, they got these shoes in New York, and they're made this way, and they're really nice. But then he was also talking about, look, these shoes don't matter. Like, I, it doesn't matter how much they cost. They could be gone. They could be here. I don't, I don't care. But it was a great talk. And um, I ran into him in the men's room after the talk. And he looks at me, and he says, I can see that you're a shoe guy. And I was like, yes. I was like, I don't know what blessing just got conferred on me, but I, I will receive it. I am a shoe guy. And I was like, well, yes, thank you. I am a shoe guy. <laughs> so we talked about that for a while. And I don't know where this came from. I, and just, I, I do, I will claim, okay, I will claim responsibility for the revolutionary, revolution in men's footwear around the E3 staff. I will just say that. So if Dan and Mark are wearing style shoes, Shannon, I'm just sorry. It's because I went there first. Okay. But I don't know where this came from, but I, but I do reckon back to a conversation I had with my father probably when I was 14. And my dad was old school. So if your dad was old school, you may have heard something like this. Uh, if you're my age, maybe if you're a little younger. My dad says, you know, uh, you can tell a lot about a man by the shoes that he wears. At which point I just rolled my eyes because I was 14. I was like, shut up, Dad. You don't know anything. Except now I think he might be right. I don't know. 
And the problem was, see, the other problem was I felt a little guilty because these are the shoes that I wore most of my teens. And I don't know what that says about me, except I probably played a lot of music. But here, oh, this is the deal. This was a thing. Here, you know what it would say about me now? Evidently, if I wore these shoes, what it would say about me now is that I'm a teenage girl. Because when I went to Google this, these shoes, ain't no pictures came up except teenage girls wearing red Chuck Taylor high tops. It wasn't like that when I was a kid, honest, I promise. So my dad said, you can tell a lot about a man by the, by the shoes that he wears. And I started thinking about this week, uh, of just I called it, things that mean other things. You know, things that we see on people, or that people do, or that people say, or they wear, that always say, well, you can tell a lot about a person if blank. You know, we all do it. And it's not, it's not always good, right? We make judgments about people we shouldn't always make. I remember sitting with a, a guy who ran a consulting firm, um, and he said, I will never hire a person before I look in their car. And if their car is messy, he's like, they ain't getting hired. And I'm like, don't look in my car, because it's a hot mess in my car, I want to tell you. But prayer in my opinion, as a pastor and as a person who has followed this God for a couple decades now, prayer is one of the things that mean other things. In other words, you show me your prayer life, you talk to me about your prayer life, and I will talk to you about your spiritual life. I will know about your spiritual life. I will know how, I'll be honest, be blunt, I will know how serious you take your spiritual life. And furthermore, if you tell me about your prayer life, I will probably be able to tell you about the God that you claim to follow, okay? What I mean by that is if I talk to you about your, your prayer life and you tell me that your prayer life consists of nothing but lists of everything that you want from God, you know? I want a boyfriend, I want a girlfriend, I want a husband, I want a wife, I want a new job, I want a better paying job, I want a new car, I want a new church, you tell me that that's your prayer life and that's all your prayer life ever is, then I'll show you a picture of Santa Claus and I'll say, well, this is your God. If your God just exists to supply the things on your list, even if they're good things, but that's all your prayer life ever is, then that's all your God is, okay? Um, if I talk to you about your prayer life or maybe I'm in a growth group with you, and I, I, was in, I was in a situation with a guy once just this summer. He was, I was in a class up uh, uh, in Kentucky. And I got to talking to this guy, and he was a pastor too. And we'd talk, and we'd hang out, and we'd joke. We'd just talk about life and everything. And then it, t it came time to pray, and, he, and we're like, hey, would you mind praying this time? It's me and a small group of people. And he was like, I'd love to pray. And his voice like dropped like an octave. Lord... Dear God, I just want to pray. You know, and I was like, what just happened in this room? <laughs> like something about him, he, and some of us have it. We have our praying voice, you know? And we have our prayer language and our prayer where sometimes, like it might be you know, these and thous, because let's face it, God only listens to King James English. We got the holy language that we use. And if that's all your prayer life is, a formal, I got to put something on. I got to read the right words. And I want to be clear here. Like I read prayers a lot in my personal life, okay? I, I use composed prayers, 
at times. But if all I ever do is put on my prayer language and my prayer outfit and I pray and I pray and read the words that have been given to me, then I'll say maybe your God looks something like an old school teacher, a very strict school teacher. And if you don't say the right words the right way with the right outfit on, he's out. He's like, I can't even listen to you unless you use all the right sort of formulas. Okay, if you tell me you never pray, I'll say maybe you're starting out. Maybe you're conf- maybe, maybe prayer's, an, prayer's an, an odd thing to do, okay? But if you never want to pray and you never pray, then I would maybe ask you, well, are you following a God? Are you interested? Or do you only want God to like show up at your beck and call when you need? Because that's not a God that only does what we want when we need him. So prayer is a thing that means another thing. And when we look at Jesus' life, the first thing we notice about it, if you've read the Gospels at all, uh, particularly Mark, Matthew, Luke, Jesus was a praying man. Gospel of Mark, which is a very short gospel, says that three times Jesus goes out and prays all night long. Who's signing up for that ministry at E3? The all-night prayer ministry. Because like, there have been times in my life that prayer is like a sleep aid. Let's be honest, right? Like you've never fallen asleep praying. Come on. I get up too early or I'm staying a little, a little bit too late and I'm like, Lord Jesus, I just, uh, (laughs) there was something about Jesus' prayer life that kept him up all night, engaged, passionate, in dialogue. Um, He didn't mess around when it came to prayer. I think so that when the time came for him to pray the prayer, then not my will but yours be done, he was like, I'm ready. I didn't cram for this exam. I've been prepping for it my whole life. We're going to take a look at, at, at one time when Jesus was flat out asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray. It's in Luke chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John, this is John the Baptist, taught his disciples. John the Baptist has taught his disciples to pray a certain prayer. Jesus' disciples say, we want to know. Now, before we get to the prayer, I want to suggest to you that this wasn't just a request to learn how to pray, okay? Because what did I say? Prayer tells you something about something else. It tells you about the nature of your relationship with God. And Jesus' disciples have already been wandering around Judea with him. They have seen him heal people. They've seen him teach amazing things. They have seen him have a heart of compassion that is wide open. So yes, they were asking him, teach us how to pray. But you know what else they were asking him? Show us how to live like you do. Show us how to heal people. Show us how to have some wisdom about God's word. Show us how to have a heart 
of compassion. Show us how to pray because that's the life we want. So Jesus says, okay. You got to understand, this is significant to me because if you read the Gospels, sometimes Jesus' disciples ask him, hey, Jesus, would you show us how to do something? And Jesus is like, well, once there were these three guys. And he'd tell a story. And I think sometimes the disciples, they get to the end of the story and the disciples would be like, did he answer the question? And the other disciples would be like, I don't think so. They'd be like, Jesus, could you explain that again? Jesus this time says, okay. So imagine the disciples are like, he's going to do it. So they all lean in. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. If they were like notes out, okay, here we go. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. Those words sound familiar to anybody? Another version of it in Matthew, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, pray like this. This is a different setting. Slightly larger version, maybe more familiar to you. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I never liked that part. It's too hard, Jesus. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Some of you guys might know this as the Lord's Prayer. Some of you might know it as the Our Father. This has formed the backbone of Christian spirituality for a long time. Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? This is the prayer to pray. It's all encompassing. I taught on this a few years back. It is God-focused, radically God-focused. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Keep your name holy. And yet it is radically others-centered. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Oh, anybody else like wish that part was not in there? I wanted to say, forgive us our sins. Period. <laughs> forgive us as we forgive others. Give us. Remember, the language of the prayer is us. It's not me. It's not I. Give us, all of us, the food we need. Don't let us yield to temptation. Keep us through the times of trial. The prayer is radical. And what I want to do now is, is start to take a look at some of the other things that Jesus said about prayer. Because as I was prepping for today, there's a lot I could talk about prayer. But this one aspect of it just kept haunting me, kept haunting me, kept haunting me. And it's this, like I said, prayer is a thing that tells us about another thing. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said it this way, that the issue of prayer is not prayer. The issue of prayer is God. And when you look at a person's prayer life or how they talk about prayer, you will discover what they believe to be true about God. And some of the things that Jesus says about prayer will blow your mind about the nature of God. For instance, right after Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Luke 11, he tells them a story. 
always has a story. Teaching them more about prayer, Jesus used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. I don't know how you give back three loaves of bread. Thank you. I just can't get past the bread. I'm so hungry. You say to him, now wait, let's have a little Sunday school. Who is the friend that lives in the house? Who? It was the right answer. Say it loud. God. God is the friend in the story. You say to this person, in other words, you say to God, a friend of mine, another friend, has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. This is a big deal in the ancient Near East. Hospitality. Somebody shows up on your doorstep, you are obligated to feed him. You don't have anything to feed him. This is a situation. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, Jesus says, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of what? Your shameless persistence. God, uh, Jesus is not teaching doctrine here. He is using hyperbole and story to make a point. He is not saying that God is too lazy to get out of bed and give you some bread. It's about us. How many of you in this room would say that shameless persistence characterizes your prayer life? How many of you in this room would say, I've been knocking, and I'm not sure God is hearing. Jesus is saying, he seems to be saying, that there's something about this God that just invites you to keep on bothering him. That there's not gonna become a time where God says, you know that thing you've been praying for? Could you just drop it? He goes on to clarify this. Maybe you know these words. So I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. Are you getting the point yet? For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. But Jesus isn't done yet. If you flipped over a few pages to Luke 18, this story is even crazier about what it says about God. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. He says, there was a judge in a certain city. Who's the judge? It's God. But again, he's not teaching theology here. He's making a point. The judge neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. Now here's what you gotta know. Widows are high on God's list to take care of. And this widow needs justice. So in God's economy, this woman has status. 
Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God. I don't care about people. That's not true about God. Jesus is making a point here. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Is Jesus trying to say that God's an unjust judge? No. Is he trying to say, come at God with what you want and don't stop? He's not going to get tired of it. In Mark 7, Jesus gets the tables turned on him a little bit. This story is real crazy. Jesus interacts with this woman. It says, Jesus left Galilee, went north into the region of Tyre. He, enter, he, uh, he encounters what they call a Syrophoenician woman. She is a Gentile. Jesus' ministry is primary to, primarily to Jewish people. Did you know that? Like, he doesn't really act, interact with Gentile people. He's like, it's not time for that yet. I need to teach my people, my tribe, the Jews. But this woman's a Gentile. She comes to him. She says her, her daughter is possessed by an evil spirit. Since she was a Gentile born in Syria and Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. I think if Jesus' mother would have been in the room, he would have been slapped. I think she would have been, I raised you better than that, Jesus, calling a woman a dog. But check this out. Watch the gumption that this woman has. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. She ain't having it. She's not having it. She, she says, that's not good enough. Anybody guys been through Financial Peace University? Remember the bargaining phrase that Dave Ramsey teaches? Somebody comes at, with you, comes at you with a price. What are you saying? That's not good enough. Jesus says, I got nothing for you. You know what the woman says? That's not good enough, Jesus. And you know what he says? Good answer. It's like Jesus is like, okay, you got me. Now go home for the demon has left your daughter. There's other stories like this. Some out of the Old Testament. They're awesome. You know, this guy named Moses. Everybody know who Moses is, right? So, Moses goes to Pharaoh, right? He says, let my people go, at which point Pharaoh says, great, get them out of here, right? Is that the way it works? No. How many times does Moses go back to Pharaoh? Repeatedly. He goes to Pharaoh once, Pharaoh says no, and Moses comes back to God and says, uh, uh, God, excuse me, um, you told me that you were gonna get your people out of Egypt. You're not doing it. God, uh, would you... Would you do something? God, this, this isn't good enough. Like he came at God. He said, you said you were gonna do this, God, and I don't know if you noticed, God, but you're not acting. And God, this is not acceptable. There's a story, not in the Bible, but uh, the Jews tell a story of this guy named Honi. H-O-N-I was his name. He lived a few hundred years before Jesus was alive. And there was a drought in the land. 
And Honi was a pious man, uh, you know, exceptionally holy, and people respected him. And he said, you know what? I'm going to pray for rain. So he went and he drew a circle in the sand, and he said, God, I'm not moving from this circle until it rains. Send the rain. And began to sprinkle. You know what Honey said? That's not good enough. He said, God, I don't know if you noticed this, but we're in a drought. The sprinkles are not going to get it done, God. You need to step it up. At which point, a deluge started. You know what Honey said then? God, that's not good enough. It's raining too hard. He said, what I want, God, is a pleasant rain that we can all celebrate in. And the legend has it that the rain reduced and it was pleasant. And Honey's like, thank you. There's a story once, I read once, where this guy was praying to God and he said, God, you hold, this is crazy, just hear this. He said, God, you hold us accountable for these 10 commandments when we break them. But I don't notice God, if, no, if you notice this, God, but we didn't ask for these commandments. Like, how dare you give them to us and then hold us accountable? People break crazy stuff. And somehow what it begins to tell me about God is that God's like, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of your list. I'm not afraid because the goal is not the list. The goal is for you to know something about me. And here's what I think God wants to know about, wants us to know about him. That he is a God of absolute commitment and absolute love. I have two kids. I've never seen anybody bargain with anybody like a child can bargain with their parents. Would you eat your broccoli? Well, how about if I eat this much broccoli? Well, no, okay, well, how about if I do this much? And no, no, like the question came, became for me is like when you sit across the table from somebody who you know absolutely loves you and is absolutely committed to you and will not leave you and will not forsake you no matter what you say or what you ask for, do you give up? Are you satisfied when you need something? I'm not. If I sit across from somebody and I need something from them and I know and I'm secure in the relationship and I know no matter what I say to this person, they're not gonna be offended. They're not gonna forsake me. They're not gonna walk away from the table. Then I will say, here's what I need. Here's exactly what I need. And when they say, well, here about how about half of it? I'll say, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But what I really need is all of it. I need all of it. And I think what these portraits of prayer start to tell us is that God wants us and is not afraid of us wrestling with him over the things that we need. You need something, tell him. You don't get it, tell him again. And don't be afraid of it. And I think sometimes we think, well, I asked once or twice, maybe God's not listening. Maybe God doesn't like me. That's not the case at all. The God that Jesus tells me about, he says, man, keep knocking. Keep knocking. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. But we can't talk about this, and I get this. We cannot talk about this if we don't talk about disappointment. Because I know enough of you in this room to know that there are people in this room who've been praying for a long time. You've been knocking. You've been knocking. 
and you're like, I don't hear anything. What do you do? What do you do when there is no answer? And what you need to know about me, if you don't know me, if you don't know anything about me, is I do not believe in the easy answers. I could maybe make up something that says, you know, well, if you don't hear from God about something, you know, it's this, that, and the other. I, I don't believe in easy answers. I don't know why God answers prayers sometimes and doesn't. I don't. Um, I, I thought I'd give you a, a few things just from my experience as a, as a human being, like what to do when things get hard in prayer. Things to think about. And some of them are hard to hear. Um, first thing I tell you is that God hurts too. You know, this goes back to last week. In the wilderness, Jesus was what? Hungry. God knows what pain feels like. God knows what longing feels like because of that time in the desert, because of Gethsemane. So take comfort in the fact that even when things are dark, and even when the journey is long, that the God you're praying to at least knows what you're going through. Keep in mind the long view. Sometimes when we pray for something, we want it right now. And God's like, just be patient. It is coming. It is coming. Which is related to the next point. Sometimes we gotta grow before God can give us the thing that we're praying for. There are so many times when I've prayed for something, and it's like God saying, if I gave you the thing that you want right now, you are not ready for it, you will not treasure it, it will blow your life up. But in my little limited view, I'm like, no, no, I want it now. And God's like, no, you're not ready. Just grow. And when you wait, and you learn to wait in a constructive way, you know what happens? This is something called perseverance starts to grow up inside you. This little thing called hope starts to grow up inside you. This thing called love starts to grow up inside you. And you mature. And then if and when the thing comes, you're more prepared for it. Um, sometimes when I'm praying for something, God tells me, you know what? You know what you need to do? You need to surrender. Because I think that, I'm, God, I want you to do this in my life. Why won't you do this thing? And God's sitting there going, I'm not doing the thing because you won't give it up. And I'm like, God, no, take this from me. Take this thing that I'm dealing with. Take it from me. And God's like, I would if you would let go of it. Sometimes there are things that we want in our life, a change that we want, a growth that we want. And yet, if we looked at ourselves very honestly, we would realize we are not ready to surrender it for our lives. And as soon as we drop it, God's like, thank you very much. I got this. I'll take it. But surrender is a dodgy thing. And it's hard. And the last thing is not really so much a, a thought as it is an action. And if you're praying for something and longing for something and hoping for something and it's not coming, then share it with somebody. Go to your growth group. Say, guys, I've been, I am weary of praying for this. Can I just tell you about it? Support me in it. Let me cry a little bit. And would you help me pray? 
And would you help me just um, be that widow or that woman that is just knocking and knocking and knocking until something shakes loose? The only, uh, the only unsuccessful prayer is the one that you don't show up for. Ultimately, that's the only way to fail at prayer is to just not do it. It doesn't matter what words you use. It doesn't matter if you use red prayers. It doesn't matter if you pray silently, but it matters if you pray because there's a God on the other side of that prayer who radically wants you to know, look, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I love you absolutely. And he says, come at me with these things. I want to leave you just uh, one scripture and one uh, additional thought. Uh, James, the brother, in G- the brother of Jesus, wrote a book. It's called the book of James. Go figure. He says this. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should what? Are any of you happy? You should sing songs of praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and what? Pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. There's a lot of stuff there. But for our purposes today, there's one word that's repeated a lot. In this this passage, what is our job? To pray. I don't know how God works in healing, ultimately. Sometimes God just makes something happen. It's done. Sometimes God works through nurses, doctors, counselors, psychologists, growth group leaders, worship music, pastors, church, friends. Sometimes that's the way God brings about a healing. But you know what? It's not our job to worry about the healing. What's our job? We let God handle the healing part. We just say, this is what you've called us to do, God. So I'm gonna do it. I asked you, I told you guys, I'd I'd like to challenge you guys all to take one step forward in prayer. And there's a couple tangible ways that I'm going to ask you guys to do this. If you're a praying person already, um, then I'm going to challenge you and ask you to pray for a couple things. First of all, uh, Holy Week, okay? Dan announced that we're having a Seder on Thursday. Then we're having a Good Friday gathering on on Friday. We're going to have a prayer vigil between those two things. All night long. All night long. Almost 24 hours. When we break this room down on Thursday night, we're gonna open it up. We're gonna have sign-ups and we wanna pray for 24 hours from Thursday to Friday, one-hour blocks. You never prayed for an hour? Here's your chance to be stretched. We'll have the room open. We'll have some things to pray for. We'll have some guides. Take a step, show up, sign up for a time and pray. Um, speaking more to the E3 community. If you call E3 your home here, we need to be very serious and very intentional about praying for the finances of the church. Like I said, this is family time. Sorry if you're a visitor. Just This is family time. It has to be said. The ownership of this church and the staff prayed and committed to a budget this year. 
I can't say it any more succinctly than this. We are behind on this budget fairly seriously. I want to challenge you to pray about that. If your commitment, if your financial commitment is, is not what God lays on your heart, pray about it. Or pray that the staff gets clarity. If we miss something, hey, we'll listen as well. But we, need to, we just need to say it. Uh, the, last, or the last two things. Pray for uh, who can you invite to Easter. Easter's a great time to invite people to church. The music will be loud. It'll be rocking. Pastor, Pastor Mark's gonna preach a great message on, on what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray about who in your world might wanna hear that. A message of hope and of a God that loves him. And then the last thing, um, maybe a practical way for those of you guys who are just getting started in prayer. One of the things that helped me in my journey of prayer is I prayed that prayer from Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Because I, I was having trouble figuring out what to pray for. And like I said, I tended to fall asleep a lot. So I was like, well, why don't I read the words that Jesus said? So what I've done is uh, I, I printed it up, the Lord's Prayer. And I want to challenge you maybe starting this week to pray this prayer two or three times a day, in the morning and at lunch. It takes all of maybe 15 seconds, maybe longer if you just read slow and let it seep down in. But just take this. If you could pray third time, maybe at evening, before you start your evening routine, do it. This is where I started. Just simple. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now in the back, what I did is I printed out my version of this prayer. Because when I was ready for the next step, I just started substituting my own words for, the, for the, our Father, for the Lord's Prayer. So my version reads like this. And I would encourage you to rewrite it for you, but this is what my version is. Our Father who is all around us and always present, keep your name holy and set apart in the world. May your kingdom come here and your will be done here, just like it's done in your presence in heaven. Give us today the things that we need for today. For me, it was security, significance, friendship, love. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I couldn't do that one any better. Keep us from the trials and tests, but if we have them, sustain us through them and deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So these will be at the Pathways booth. I've got a few up here. Just take it with you and start to pray it. Commit to praying it two to three times a day for 20 days, 30 days, and watch if God doesn't start to show up in your life in new and exciting ways. Let's follow Thank you.